This morning, my message I titled, Is This Not Joseph's Son? And that's straight out of the Bible. Is this not Joseph's son? That is what the people of Nazareth said of Jesus. Is this not Joseph's son? We're going to be reading from Luke. Uh, I've been reading Luke for a number of weeks, a couple weeks rather, a few weeks anyway. And it's like, I love, the, I love the book of Luke. I just kind of have a, I found a newfound love of the book of Luke. Because Luke is so detailed. So detailed about everything. I know this is in there, but you know, you look at the, the birth of Christ. The others might just briefly mention it. Matthew mentions the genealogy. Mark's very short about it. But Luke has chapters, very detailed, about the Magi and about the star and about Joseph and Mary and their journey and, and the Magi going to Herod. Just, he's so detailed in everything. And he's detailed in our scripture today about Jesus returning to his hometown. Let's go ahead and go to the word of the Lord, Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 34. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out throughout through all the surrounding regions. So news of him went out through all the regions. His popularity was growing. They was hearing of him, all the wonderful things he was doing, hearing of the miracles, blinded eyes being opened, the deaf hearing demon-possessed people being delivered, uh, the lame walking. They're hearing of all the wonderful things and hearing that he was preaching and teaching with authority. So he was gaining popularity. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And all the, uh, the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on Him. Every eye was fixed on Jesus after He read this. And as I read this, I think, I wonder if anyone else would have read this, if it would have had that kind of impact. I wonder if the eyes would have been on every, someone else if they had read it. But my friends, God was in the house that day. And He read it. Jesus read it. And it just had a profound impact on the people that every eye was on Him as He went back and sat down. And He began to say to them, Today this Scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to Him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of His mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? Remember, where was he? Where he'd been brought up, right? Is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, You will surely say this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever you have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Then he said, Assuredly I say to you, No prophet is accepted in his, home, in his own country. But I tell you truly, Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up for three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except 
to Zarephath in the region of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and to none of them, or none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Now you're going to say, well, yeah, I can't get away from Naaman, right? I've talked about Naaman for the past couple weeks. Except for Naaman the Syrian. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, and rose up and thrust him out of the city, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then passing right through the midst of them, he went on his way. Then he came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was there teaching on the Sabbath. And, there was, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. Now in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. May God add His blessings to the hearing and the reading of His Holy Word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do praise You and magnify You. We thank You. We thank You for Your Son, Jesus Christ, the One whom we worship, the One in whom we have hope hope of salvation, hope of eternal life. And Lord, we thank You that Your Spirit is with us today. And I pray that Your Spirit would be upon us to guide us, to control us. Lord, that every word be spoken be for Your glory and for Your honor. Father, that it might go out and plant seeds and draw men and women unto Yourself, Father. We pray Your anointing over the, the electronic stuff, the Wi-Fi and everything to allow this word to, to go all around the globe, Father. We thank you for that and just pray your anointing upon every single word that goes out over the airways and bless each one that has joined us today, Lord, here in body or else over the Wi-Fi, Lord. We just thank you for each one. Pray your blessing and your peace upon them. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first question we might have as we read this, maybe you don't have it, but there's a question. Where was Jesus returning from at the very beginning? Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Where was He returning from? He was returning, now I know He preached along the way, but He was returning from the temptation. His temptation in the wilderness. Everyone is aware that, you know, there, there's many temptations in life, in life, isn't there? In our lives, there will be many things that try to tempt us and draw us away from God. Whether it be the, the, the lust of the eyes, the things that we see that want to draw us away, or taste, or smell, whatever. There are so many things that try to draw us away. But Jesus also had to be tempted, didn't He? Jesus needed to be tempted. There's a very important reason why Jesus needed to be tempted in the wilderness. It was necessary to show that He was completely human. And it was necessary for Him to fully experience the human life. He had to experience that to experience humanity. Because we are tempted, right? Praise the Lord that He was victorious over the temptation. It wasn't just a brief thing, friends. It was 40 days. 40 days in the wilderness that He was tempted. And it wasn't a one and done deal. Once He came out of there, there was temptation throughout His ministry. But throughout His life, Let's just not look at the 40 days. He was victorious over any temptation because He was completely without sin. He was not tempted. 
How did Jesus stand against the devil? How did He stand against the devil? By the Word. By the Word. I think the first thing the devil said is, you know, he's hungry. He's fat. He hadn't eaten. He said, call out to God to turn these stones into bread. What did he say? It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, right? He took him up on the hill to show him all these things. Show him all the cities. Satan said, if you will just bow down to me, I will give you all of this. He said, it is written. It is written. You shall not worship none but the Lord our God. The one true God. And then he said, cast yourself off this cliff and he will take his hand out and protect you. But then Satan even knows the word. He said, it is also written, didn't he? We're not to tempt the Lord our God. But we know, we know that He was human by this. Because, my friends, God cannot be tempted. James 1, 13, 14 says, Let no one say when he is tempted that I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. God is spirit, right? God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He Himself tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and is enticed. So there's proof of His humanity. Because if Jesus was only spirit, He could not have been tempted. And He was tempted. He was tempted as we are tempted. Again, He was victorious. Because He knew the Word. Friends, how important... That we know the Word. That we know the Word and we obey the Word, right? That we are grounded and rooted in the Word and that's how we will stand against any temptation, any evil that will come upon us. So he returned from the temptation, beginning his ministry. Verse 14 said, And he returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. He returned victorious over the temptations. It's been said that temptations will either make you or break you. It made Him. And it can make us. And not break us when we trust in Him. You know, many people easily give in to temptation. Many people do. You know, one of the most notorious con artists, swindler, whatever you want to call him, in American history was a man named George C. Parker. And the reason he holds such a special place of dishonor, <laughs> dishonor, is that he knew that people were gullible. He knew that people would give in easily to temptations. He knew that. And he used this to take advantage of people, preying on people's desires, preying on people's easily, temp easily being tempted to temptation. He set himself up an office in New York City, and he sold some of the most famous attractions in New York. He actually sold them. He produced elaborately forged documents and deeds and convinced people, convinced his targets, if you will, that he rightfully owned these things and sold them to them. He sold such things as the Statue of Liberty. He sold Madison Square Garden. He even sold the Brooklyn Bridge. People was going to set up tolls and start charging people because they thought they just bought it off of Mr. Parker. 
He used these documents on gullible people. People that were easily tempted. <laughs> Couldn't you see how I just bought the Brooklyn Bridge? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They finally caught up with him. Yeah. He spent the rest, you know, rest of his time in jail. People were easily tempted. I'll bet these victims after that, though, I bet they learned a great lesson. I bet they were a little bit more uh, humble. humble. Yeah. A little bit more humble. A little bit more cautious with the resources. Yeah. God expects us to be careful. He expects us to be prudent. Not easily fooled by the temptations of the world that we see. By those that Satan will try to attempt to deceive. If we're grounded in that word and prudent, God will help us. You know, the people in Jesus' town, the town of Nazareth, they seemed to be a little confused. They said, is this not Joseph's son? They were wondering, where did he receive such knowledge? Where did he get this authority? Confusion. You know, I don't know how I got this direction in this message, but I did. And I just trust that the Lord took me there. So, I, confusion is one of the things that I'm going to focus on. There are many people in our nation today that have fallen for the deceptive lies and confusion of the devil. Many people, many people. Some people think just because we say something is so, that it is so. I need my, my, my helper up here. Where's my helper? I have a helper. I, I have it on good source that she has some money in her pocket. So, come up here. Pull your, pull your money out. You got some ones. How many you got? Open them up there. Open them up. Hold them up. How many you got there? So, let's unfold it here. Ah, oh, they're all folded up here. So, let's see. We got two. And we got, how many here? How many we got? So, you just gave me $4, right? Wait a minute. How many we got here? How many is here? How many is here? All right, so how many is this? So you've been taught all your life, right? That two plus two equals four, right? I don't like that. That is not so anymore. I say that two plus two is three. So there's your three dollars back. This one goes in my pocket. Ridiculous, right? Isn't that ridiculous? Just because I say that two plus two is three, does not make it so, does it? It does not. It is ridiculous. But the liar and deceiver, we know who he is, has convinced many people in our society today, or he's confused them to a state where they don't even know what sex they are. Don't ask me why I went this way, but that's where the Lord took me. They don't know what sex they are. Now don't get all sensitive and defensive on me right away. Let me finish. They're confused about their sexual identity. My friends, how sad. Think about that for a moment. And I'm talking about older people and even younger people in grade school that are confused about their identity. They're uncertain about who they are, what they are. There are currently nine states in the United States 
that require no surgical procedure to be done on a person for them to go to the courthouse and change their sexual identity on their birth certificate. Nine states. They can go to the courthouse and say, I am no longer a male. Change my birth certificate to female. Nine states that they can do that. No. Now, let me add a little bit here. I don't care if they did have a surgical procedure. They're still a male if they were born a male. And they're still a female, right? If they were born a female. Just because they say so does not make it so. We are currently living in a time when those who stand against lifestyles that are not consistent with, consistent with God's moral design are looked upon as people filled with hate. There will some that will hear this message and say, he's filled with hate. We are no longer living in a time where we are expected as Christians to tolerate this, but we are considered haters if we don't celebrate it with them. This, you know, there is a root of deception and confusion from Satan. And there's one source that he's using that just, it's horrible. It's our education system. It's our schools, friends. Young children are being taught that this is okay. It's okay for men and men to be married, or women and women to be married. It's okay for boys to say, well, I'm a girl. They're saying that it's okay. Just last week, I heard one of the presidential candidates, I won't say who, I heard her say, I'm sorry, I heard that person say out of their own mouth at a campaign rally, if I am elected president, there is a nine-year-old transgender boy, I forget which states he said, a southern state, that I am going to allow that nine-year-old to choose the secretary of education. I heard it. Heard it myself. I will let that nine-year-old choose the secretary of education for the United States. Now, here's what I have to say about that. I question her decision to let a nine-year-old choose the Secretary of Education. I don't care what kind of child it is. So I don't know a nine-year-old child that has enough maturity. Sorry, kids. I don't know a nine-year-old child with enough maturity to choose the Secretary of Education. I know at nine, I sure didn't. I'd want the one that give me recess all day long. <laughs> That's what I want. But what do we need as an education secretary? Here's what we truly need in the United States of America as an education secretary. One is going to make sure they're taught math and science and chemistry and biology, social studies, geography, home ec, all those things that are going to help our children grow and function in society. We don't need an education secretary that's going to make sure that they're comfortable with who's going to be the education secretary. That they're going to be okay in their uncertainty. In their identity. My friends, 
We should leave the social and moral issues to the parents. Is who they should be left to in the schools. 1 Corinthians 14.33 Well, I'm running out of time and I'm not even halfway through. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. Our God is not and never will be the source of confusion. And the most important thing that we must never be confused about, first of all, is His love. And we must never be confused about His moral standards. He does not want us to be confused about who we are and what sex we are, right? Even our sexual identity. He doesn't want us to be confused about that. Genesis 1, 27-28 says, So God created man. Who created man? God. All right. God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Friends, God does not make mistakes. Hear that. God does not make any mistakes. If God created you male, if God created you, when you were born, if you had the body parts that allowed you to be circumcised, that's the most biblical way I can think of putting this, with the ears that are here, if you were born with the parts that you could be circumcised, I've got news for you. You are a male. You are a man. Friends, if you were born with the body parts that would allow you to help multiply the earth, meaning you had a womb, and you had all those organs that allow you to carry a child in here, you're a female. It's that simple. It's not confusing. Confusing. It's that simple. You're a female. God said be fruitful and multiply. Some might say that Wow, what a hater he is saying these things. Not thinking about the feelings of these precious little ones. They are precious, friends. But I'm not a hater. What does God want us to know? The truth. Amen. And to share His Word. I say this out of love. Don't be confused. You are what God created you to be. And to say anything different, you're saying God makes mistakes. And God does not make a mistake. God wants you to know Him, to love Him. And He wants to heal, and can and will heal, I should say, any emotional confusion you might have. He wants you to be strong in who He created you to be. If He created you as a little boy, He wants you to be strong. He wants you to grow and be a man and to love and serve Him. If He created you as a female, a woman, He wants you to grow and be the best woman you can be to serve Him faithfully, to love Him and honor Him. God does not make mistakes. The people of Nazareth could not accept Jesus for who He really was. His hometown 
That's the town where Jesus spent his childhood. They watched him grow up, running around the streets, playing with the other kids, right? They watched him become a teenager. What a wonderful child he would have been. He didn't have those rebellious years like most of us. <laughs> most of us, yeah, he didn't have those rebellious years. He would have been a wonderful child. But they watched Jesus grow up, learning from his earthly dad, Joseph, helping Joseph. I, you know, it says he was a carpenter. Now, I don't know if they went and did repairs to houses or built houses or if they built things in the wood shop. I don't know. I can't say for sure. It just says he was a carpenter. But think about this. They didn't have all the modern conveniences we had. They weren't able to jump in their Ford and run down the Home Depot and grab a truckload of lumber. They had to go saw those boards by hand. Carry them through the town to the house they were working on or to the wood shop. The people seeing Joseph coming and going, I mean Jesus and Joseph, coming and going, carrying their wood, carrying their tools. You know, you don't think of this, but you think about the hard work it would have took. Jesus probably had some muscles. Right? He wasn't no wimpy person. But they seen him all these years. They seen him grow up. And they seen him at synagogue every Sabbath. As his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. It was his custom to go to Sabbath, go to synagogue every Sabbath. I said that wrong. Meaning that he attended public worship on a regular basis. He didn't make excuses, you know. As he got older, knowing what his ministry was, he could have said, you know what? The religious system is all corrupt. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to have any part of it. He could have said, you know, I don't need any instruction because I already know it all, right? He could have. But he didn't. He made public worship his way of life. Friends, it needs to be our way of life. Hebrews 10 24 and 25 says, Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as we see the day approaching. Friends, we shouldn't make up excuses not to go to church. Well, there's a 40% chance of rain today. I don't think I'm going to church. Don't you own an umbrella? But we'll go out and sit in the rain and watch a football game. But we'll make excuses, excuses. You know, the pews are too hard. The pews are too soft. The pastor speaks too long. The pastor don't speak long enough. You know, we could come up with all kinds of excuses. But we are to assemble together. Why? That we can exhort one another. Lift one another up. Stop making excuses. Get to church, right? You know, the typical synagogue service, they were different than our services. But yet, they had some of the same ingredients. They had prayer. They had prayer for God's blessing. They had the recitation of the traditional Hebrew confession of faith. They had the reading of the Word, the Law and the Prophets. They had the reader paraphrase, give a sermon, often in Aramaic. So there was very different, but yet a lot of similarities to ours, Right? The passage Jesus spoke from, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good tidings to the poor. 
He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. You know, you can see their confusion. Well, this is the child we've seen grow up. And now, he's saying, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has sent me to preach. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, to open the prisons. What shock upon these people? I believe the most shocking thing was when he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Because when he said that, he's saying to that congregation and to the world, I am the Messiah. I am the one. Because that's what this prophecy from Isaiah was saying. This is of the Messiah. He's saying today it's fulfilled. Today it's fulfilled. That day it was fulfilled. He is the Messiah. He always will be the Messiah. They are shocked. They are so shocked and then so angered that they led him out to the brow of the hill to cast him off and he walked right through. He said that no prophets accepted in his hometown. Even Elijah. He went to a Gentile woman. Think of all the widows in Israel. But Elijah went to a Gentile. Why? Because they rejected the prophet. That's why. They rejected God. And again, back to Naaman. Of all the lepers in Israel, Naaman was the one healed of leprosy. He had faith. Remember the story. He said as he was going, I know that the prophet's going to come out and he's going to wave his hand over the place. He's going to heal me. He had faith for the healing. Now he almost missed it. That's, that was that past sermon. But of all the lepers, that Gentile received the healing from God. They're angry about that. They're angry that he spoke of their rejection of God and rejection of the Messiah. That's why they led them out to the brow of the hill. Acts speaks of the rejection of the prophets. Acts 13, 26 and 27. Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to you the word of salvation has been sent for those who dwell in Jerusalem and the rulers because they did not know Him, nor even the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning Him. Friends, that's speaking of what we just read from Luke. They did not know Him. The Christ is right there. They didn't know Him, and they rejected the prophets. Jesus spoke of that. They tried to, tried to kill Him, tried to destroy Him, and He walked right through. St. Augustine said, They love the truth when it enlightens them, but they hate the truth when it accuses them. That applies to many congregations today. People love to hear gracious words, but they don't want to face the truth. People love to go to church and have their ears tickled. They do. Oh, it's okay. You, it's alright to do that. You don't have to repent. People love to hear that tickling of the ears. But they don't want to hear that which convicts them of their sin. They want God's grace, but they don't want to obey His commands. They don't want to repent. They don't want to change their lives. I want to go back to the schools for a minute. 
We want to straighten things out in our schools today. Let's allow prayer back in the schools. Let's put the Ten Commandments back up on the walls. And maybe they'll see how they can live a godly life, a moral life. Even if they don't believe in God, follow those rules. Look how much better our society would be. I shall not murder. Maybe our prisons wouldn't be so full. Jesus did indeed preach to the poor. He went to those who the religious leaders shied away from, didn't He? He wasn't afraid to go to them. The religious leader wouldn't touch a leper, but Jesus did. He wasn't afraid to touch them. He didn't avoid the poor and the downcast. He went to them. Psalm 69.20 says, Reproach has broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness. I look for someone to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. Friends, there is a comforter, and his name is Jesus. To be brokenhearted is to feel spiritually bankrupt, helpless, longing for the help and salvation of God. Well, my friends, all we have to do is call out to Him. Repent of our sins and call out to Him, and He will fill us up with His Holy Spirit. Fill us. Jesus came to help these. He came to bring liberty to the captives. Psalm 68, 3-6 says, But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yes, let them rejoice exceedingly. Sing to God. Sing praises to His name. Extol Him who rides on the clouds by His name, yea, and rejoice before Him. A father of the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in His holy habitation. Think about that. A father to the fatherless, a defender of the widows. God sets the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity. But the rebellious dwell in a dry land. My friends, if you are bound, He will set you free. He came to set us free from our sins. If we are walking in our sins, we need to ask for forgiveness and He will set us free. He will loose us from the bounds. They could not accept Him as Joseph's son. How ironic that He went to Capernaum and goes into the synagogue there. I want to reread that. He went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at His teaching, for His word was with authority. Now in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? They knew where he was from. Jesus of Nazareth. Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are. The Holy One of God. The people that he grew up with did not recognize him. They wouldn't acknowledge he as the Christ, the Messiah. But a demon recognized him. Says, I know who you are. I know that you are the Holy One of God. I know that you are the Messiah. I know that you're the Messiah. You won't have this one on the screen. <clears throat> John chapter 12, verses 44 through 50. Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. 
And if anyone hears my words and does not believe them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is an everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. Friends, we must believe in him. There are some out there, there's probably many out there, that will say there's many ways to God. There is not many ways. John 14, 6 says, I, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way to the Father. There is no other way. Don't be deceived. There is no other way but Jesus. We must believe in Him. We must believe that He is the one that the Father sent. And then also in Matthew 16, verse 13 through 16. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples saying, Who do men say that I am? Now wait a minute. I want to reread that. My glasses are... Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist. They were confused, right? Some say you're Elijah. Others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That whole message is about that most important question. They wouldn't say that Jesus is the Christ, that He is the Messiah. They rejected Him as the Christ and as the Messiah. That's the most important question in every individual's life. What do you believe about Jesus? Who do you say that Jesus is? If He's just a prophet to you, you're lost. He's more than just a prophet. He is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God, come to set men free from their sins. If He is just an amazing teacher with, to you, that taught with authority, if that's all He is to you, you're lost. You must answer that question that Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? With the response that you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, you are the Son of God, and it is in you that I put my trust. You believe that. You accept that. You confess that. And ye shall be saved. You shall enjoy eternal life. If you're watching, if you haven't accepted Christ as the Messiah, if you're listening, you hear these words, if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as the Messiah, the Son of the living God, I ask you to do so. Repent of your sins and say, Lord, I've been confused for many years. Help me. Give me understanding. Give me peace in here. Be the ruler of my heart. Be the ruler of my life. Lord, help me get rid of that confusion. Help me know who I am. Help me know who I am in You. You're a man of God or you are a woman of God. Accept that and receive it. Amen?